Church, Andover Campus, in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Loving God, open our hearts, open our minds to hear that which you would speak to us through your scripture and through your word today. Move us to hear and move us to faithfulness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I, like many kids, uh, grew up with a plan of what I was going to do vocationally. I was going to be a cop. Uh, this was career day starting in second grade. I had a little black policeman's outfit. Uh, you could carry cap guns to school back then, and it wasn't a concern. I had, had a little nightstick. Uh, and I did this for a number of years until I saw another show called Hunter. Uh, so I moved from wanting to be a police officer who wore a uniform to wanting to be a detective. He had a cool suit, and he had a cooler gun. Uh, and then I saw Mike Hammer. Uh, and he was even cooler as a private eye, so I didn't need to be a cop anymore. I was going to be a private eye. And then the best show ever came on TV, MacGyver. <laughs> I wanted to do whatever it is he did for the Phoenix Foundation. Give me a Swiss Army knife and some duct tape and one little paper clip. Oh my, did I want to be MacGyver. Uh, that lasted for a good week or two. Um, <laughs> Uh, my first job, as I told you, my first Sunday was on a hog farm. I wanted to do that as a career until he told me, run for the hills, do anything else other than farming. Uh, so I then became uh, convinced I wanted to be a doctor. That lasted for like six years. This was my dream until about 10th grade. At that point, I realized I hated school. Um, <laughs> it's a bit problematic if you're going to have to go to college for 12 years. Um, turns out I went to college for 12 years anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, different trajectory. Um, went off to college for one month, was going to major in accounting, hated that, dropped out. Uh, worked for a grocery store, thought that was going to be my career plan. Uh, then worked for a gun store, worked for a, a hobby store. That was fun. I can decorate silk flowers uh, into beautiful arrangements, and I can also ice a sheet cake moderately successfully. Um, <laughs> Ultimately, uh, trajectory led to seminary and towards pastoral ministry. I imagine all of you knew what you wanted to be, and it never wavered, right? Who grew up wanting to be a doctor? Okay, a few people. A lawyer? Now, that, the doctor wanted to be a lawyer, and the lawyer wanted to be a doctor. I can't even handle this. You can't make this stuff up some Sundays. Who wanted to be a teacher? Okay, more. Uh, what are some other things you wanted to be? Nurse, okay. Actor, okay. Uh, who wanted to be a prophet? Okay, nobody is signing up for this job, are they? Uh, at the bare minimum, you have to come in and declare, hey people, you were terrible, you're unfaithful, and God is getting ready to judge you. A sword is coming through town, and get ready. 
Nothing says win friends over like this message, does it? If that's not enough, then you get the privilege of performing these sign acts, these things that bear witness to God's frustration. I used the internet to find out some various sign acts through scripture to make sure I didn't miss some of the best ones. Isaiah might have had it the easiest. He just had to walk around naked for three years to show people their nakedness. Jeremiah couldn't go to any funerals or feasts to represent uh, the voidness of feeling. He um, had to wear a yoke as he walked around town to show the burden that he had and that people had. Uh, Ezekiel didn't get to speak from his calling until the destruction of the temple. Ezekiel also had to lay on his side for 420 days looking at a stack of bricks. Ezekiel had to bake his bread over feces. Uh, Ezekiel had to cut his hair off and distribute it throughout town as signs of uh, the impending judgment. Uh, Ezekiel uh, had a whole lot of other things he had to do. The list keeps going for Ezekiel. And then you have Hosea. The sign act of sign acts. The story that Elizabeth read to us today. Hey, Hosea, you're getting ready to give a verbal message to Israel, but I also want you to do this thing. I want you to take, uh, the translation Elizabeth read said, uh, a, a prostitute. It's probably better promiscuous or unfaithful wife. Someone who from the beginning you know is not going to be faithful to this marriage. And I want you to have kids. Some of the other sign acts are kind of easy to dismiss, right? Not many of us are baking bread on uh, coals in town. Not many of us are carrying yokes around anymore, right? Uh, if you even see, you don't even see yokes on a farm, you see tractors. Um, we all know somebody who's been touched by promiscuity, infidelity, and the difficulty of unfaithful marriage. Whether it's in our lives or in uh, lives of those we love, this feels awfully real. And it's awfully uncomfortable. How this text starts. Go and take an unfaithful wife. If God had said, go take a wife and love her well and settle in for uh, years of fidelity, we'd all uh, celebrate it. But we read this text and it's awfully uncomfortable. Uh, when I first came to this text, the lectionary gave it to us today. I didn't pick it out. It's the lectionary text. I really was bothered because it felt like it was almost a kind of flippant or cavalier treatment of, uh, of infidelity, of promiscuity. But as I've poured over this text, I've come to understand that this is the groaning of God poured out. There's no other way for God to explain in human understanding how hurt he is by humanity's treatment of him. Take a wife that you know is not going to be faithful to you. Someone who is going to cheapen your relationship. For this is what Israel's been like to me. I made covenant with them, and they keep being unfaithful to me. They offer up these worship signs to look like we're still in a relationship, but they worship other gods and they trample on people. At first sign of any trouble, they'll do whatever it takes to serve themselves. That alone 
is more than a prophet should have to bear. Hello, bugs annoying. Um, but the Sinai keeps going. Bear a son and name him Jezreel uh, because of the bloodshed in the Jezreel Valley, the bloodshed of Jehu. This is probably the most contextualized of the children's names. Uh, Jezreel Valley is kind of this important center in the middle of Israel. It's where Deborah and Barak have their battles, and Gideon does the testing of God. It's uh, placed prominently in the Elijah and Elisha narratives. Uh, two probably the most famous stories is uh, King Ahab, the old nasty king we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, decides he wants his neighbor's yard so that he can plant a vegetable garden. And he says, give me your yard. I'll give you uh, a yard somewhere else, property somewhere else. And uh, Naboth says, not a chance. This is my inheritance. I'm not giving this to you. And so as any good king would do, he goes and lays on his bed and pouts. Um, his wife, though, Jezebel, who we met a couple weeks ago, she decides she's going to take care of things. Let's call a feast. Let's bring Naboth in, and we're going to plant some uh, insiders who are going to say he's been unfaithful to the king. They do this, they stone him, and they take the land and plant the vegetable garden. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, Jehu, uh, the uh, next king of Israel, takes his uh, kingship in, in a particular way. You can either become king through being the son of a king, or you can kill the king. That's basically your two choices. And he does it by killing the king. Uh, but he doesn't just kill the king. He kills the king's family and the king's family's friends and everybody. Uh, this is a bloodbath that... Uh, centers on him shooting the king in the heart with a bow and arrow. Take uh, an unfaithful wife, bear a child, and name him Jezreel, for I will avenge the blood of Jezreel. If those two uh, were all there was, we would feel pretty terrible for Hosea. The story keeps going. Uh, Bear another child and name this child Loruhama. No compassion. Before we had an Apostles' Creed or a Nicene Creed or an Athanasian Creed or any of the other creeds or doctrinal statements, we had this God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And now God says, Name him no compassion, for I no longer have compassion for you. Go take a wife of uh, promiscuity, have a child and uh, name him Jezreel because of the blood of Jehu, and have, have a child and name him No Compassion because I have no compassion for you. If that was the end of the story, we would feel horrible for Hosea. Have another child. Name him Lo-Ami, not my people. The whole story has hinged on God's covenant faithfulness, on making covenant with Abraham that they would be his people and he would be their God. He would bless them to be a blessing. He would give them land and he would make them great. And now he says, I am not, you are not my people and I am not your God. Go and take a wife of promiscuity, bear all that shame. Have a child and name him Jezreel for the shame of Jehu and for the blood. 
uh, have a child and name him no compassion, uh, for I have no more compassion on you. And have a child and name him uh, not my people, because you are no longer my people. Nobody would sign up for the job of a prophet. This is where the lectionary wants us to end the story. They want us to preach through verse 9. The Lord said, name him not my people because you are not my people and I am not your God. Close it and preach that text. It's awfully hard to say the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God there. We had Elizabeth read two more verses. Yet, the number of the people of Israel be like the sand of the sea, which can neither be measured nor numbered. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be gathered together and they will choose one head. They will become fruitful in the land. The day will be a wonderful one for Jezreel. That one little conjunction yet is essential to this story. Without it, everything we know about God starts to fall apart. With the story of Noah, God said, I've destroyed it once, I'm never going to do it again. It sure seems like that's where he was heading with the Hosea text. But the yet gives us hope. They'll be like the sands on the seashore. They will be a gathered people. The day will be great in Jezreel and he will have compassion on them doesn't mean he doesn't execute his judgment. He sends the people into exile. This generation actually die, dies in Assyria. But he remembers his promises and he has the yet. The Old Testament ends with them coming back into the land in this sort of uh, there but not yet kind of story. of They're in the land but they don't actually sense the presence of God. Things are beginning to look okay but yet they still feel like they're in exile. But the yet of all yets to this story is Jesus Christ. For the unfaithful bride that Israel was, God called a new bride in Christ to the church. Jesus, uh, probably the first image of Jesus is a suffering servant. The next most prominent metaphor is as the groom. Parable after parable talks about being ready for the wedding that's to come being the people on the lookout for the groom. Paul talks about uh, husbands loving their wives the way Christ loves the church. That's a whole sermon right there that I'm looking forward to preaching one day because it looks very different to love somebody the way Christ loved the church. Revelation paints this picture of waiting for the, the wedding feast with Christ, that this is the picture of the time to come. In our communion liturgy, we say, uh, till we feast at his heavenly banquet. This is a wedding banquet we're looking forward to. When we, the bride of Christ, meet our groom. And for all the violence in Jezreel, Christ took the violence in himself. Christ emptied himself, fully God, emptied himself, took on the flesh of humanity, and bore all the shame we could put on him throughout his life. Treated him terribly, uh, rejected him, constantly on the run from people who wanted to kill him, and then ultimately they give him the worst death possible and he takes the violence in himself for us. And the greatest act of compassion God takes on flesh in Jesus Christ and calls us to be his people. 
doesn't just end with redeeming Israel. It's a call to all of humanity to be the very bride of Christ. In the, the end of Matthew's gospel, we're told to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Acts, we see this call to go to Jerusalem and Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All people are now called to be God's people. Jesus is the most important yet in the history of the world. It's hard to swallow this Hosea text without the yet there. But even that leaves you sadly lacking, wanting something more. But in Christ, we're given another yet. See, we live in that moment where we know things aren't quite right, where we still see signs of unfaithfulness. But we're offered our yet. That we, the bride of Christ, begin to offer the hope of Christ to the world. That we literally become little outposts of the kingdom of heaven, where heaven is coming to earth through us as we prepare for the time when we do feast at that banquet, that time when there are no more pain and no more tears and no more sorrow, when there is no more violence, when compassion is not even needed. Because yet, Christ loved us. Christ gave us the Spirit. The story had ended at death. It would have been lacking but Christ defeated death, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and gave us his spirit to be the church, to be the bride that will be faithful, that will love God well, that will love others, that will bear witness to this groom that we wait for. The whole text is about covenant faithfulness. God remained faithful throughout God remained faithful when Israel did not deserve it. God's faithfulness looked like taking on flesh, living, suffering, and dying for us. And it looked like giving us his spirit. It looked like entrusting a group of people in the ancient Near East to carry on his work in the world. And it looks like being in relationship with you and I as he empowers us to do the same.